Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. the two guys who crashed a small airplane on an island, and one of them panicked immediately, knowing that they would die on that island, and said, there's no way we, we can get out of this. I mean, it's over for us. The other guy said, no, no, no problem. We're going to get out of this. The guy said, man, you're crazy. We're going to die right here on this island. He said, I told you, don't sweat it. I make $100,000 a week. There's no problem. The guy said, what does that have to do with it? He says, well, I tithe, and my pastor will find me. Well, we're talking about whether or not there is help available this morning and a cry for help. And if you look for God, you will find him because he's already looking for you. When you start toward God, he's already moving toward you. I heard about a lady whose husband came home drunk every night and she tried everything she knew, nothing worked. She finally got the, in desperation. She dressed up in a devil's costume and hid in the closet. He came home drunk, and she jumped out of that closet and hollered at him. And he said, who are you? She said, I'm the devil. He said, well, shake my hand. I married your sister. <laughs> so sometimes things don't turn out exactly like we expect them to turn out. And it may be that you've tried a lot of things, and none of those things have worked. This does not mean that nothing will work. There is help available, and that's what this message is about today. When I announced that I was speaking on the 12 steps, who did you think of that needed it? You know, it's interesting. The messages are really for you, not for anybody else. But often we think, well, I tell you who needs this. Pastor, I'm glad you preached this series because I tell you who needs it. Well... I'm not preaching to your friends or your neighbors. I'm preaching to you. And I believe that you need it and that I need it and that that's what God is teaching us. So are you listening? Are you listening to those who are trying to control you? Are you listening to those you're trying to control? Are you listening to your hurts, to the problems associated with your addiction, your compulsive behavior? Are you listening? There's a crude saying out of, out of Texas that, uh, that if, if somebody tells you you are a horse's rear, forget it. If two people tell you that, look in the mirror. If three people tell you you're a horse's rear, buy a saddle. <laughs> so listen to what is around you and what's happening in your life because the Bible says all have sinned, all fall short, all miss the mark. All of us have hang-ups, hurts, hungers, habits. All of us in this building have blown it in one way or another at one time or another. We've all made mistakes. All of us have been hurt by people all of us have hurt other people, and we have hurt ourselves. No exceptions. 
So that means that every one of us needs to hear about these 12 steps. Because in one way or another, at one time or another, every one of us will need healing and help. So whatever the problem, whether it's emotional or spiritual or financial or sexual or whatever, whatever has you bound and bummed, the steps out of it, the steps to freedom and fulfillment are exactly the same. You see, those steps are in this book. The steps for you to step out of your addiction, out of that compulsive behavior, and into freedom and fulfillment are found in this book. This is the original recovery manual. And there's not anything to compare with it that's out there anywhere. This is God's Word. In 1935, a couple of drunks got together. They got with God, they got with the Bible, and they got sober. And they discovered this route to freedom and fulfillment, and they wanted other people to walk in it. Strongly influenced by the Oxford movement and a man by the name of Reverend Sam Shoemaker, they developed a 12-step program for alcohol addiction. But it's a program that works for any addiction or any compulsive behavior. Today, there are 500,000 recovery groups. There are 20 million Americans that meet every week in this country in recovery groups trying to work through these steps, trying to work on their problems. What is it that has you tripped up? What's keeping you in bondage? What are your hang-ups? Overeating? Overspending? Overworking? Anger? Rage? Hypochondria, gambling, the need to control, alcohol, drugs, divorce, sexual addictions, lying. What is it? Last week we looked at step one. And step one says, I admit that I am powerless. That means I am helpless and hopeless and that my life has become unmanageable. In other words, my life is spinning out of control and there's nothing I can do about it. Every time I see one of those airplanes go down, my heart sinks and immediately my prayers go out to the family of those touched by that tragedy. And even those people in that airplane, I, you know, immediately I think I hope they were saved and that they woke up in heaven and, and the horror of that airplane going out of control headed toward the ocean. And listening to those reports about that, there's a problem with the, the, what kept the plane stable, that gave the plane stability. And the interesting thing is they were radioing back into maintenance and everything they tried to do to this plane that was spinning out of control only made it worse. And it continued to spin until it landed in the ocean, crashed, and all aboard were lost. You see, the problem was they were only treating the symptoms because they didn't know what the root problem was. They still don't know exactly. They could only treat the symptoms. And the reason most people crash and burn is because they only deal with the symptoms. They never get to the root issue, the root problem. You say, well, what is the root problem? The root cause of every one of our problems is the same, sin 
and selfishness. And when we allow sin and self to be in control, then we're vulnerable to Satan and anything that he wants to do in our lives. It's an open door for Satan. I've told you many times, if you could kick the person responsible for most of your problems, you couldn't sit down for a week. It's so easy to look around and blame everything else rather than taking responsibility for what's going on in our lives. But you see, what we try to do is we try to fix it on our own. Or we try to hide it. We try to cover it up. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It may seem right that you can lick your problem, but you can't. That you can conquer that addiction on your own. That you can keep anybody else from knowing and you can work it out and get victory and you can find freedom and fulfillment. That may seem right to you. It may seem logical and rational to you, but it is not right. Because you cannot solve your own problems. Adam and Eve were the first ones to get involved in this kind of thing. They were given everything that they needed. Everything that they could want or needed was provided for them, but yet they, were, they listened to Satan and they wanted the one thing that they could not have because then their eyes would be open and they could be as God and they could play God. And that's what people do. The main issues we talked about last week is an issue of control. We try to play God. How do we do that? Number one, we try to control our image. You see, we're afraid for anybody to know who we really are. And we cover up. I've been a Baptist all my life and I'll die a Baptist, but let me tell you, Baptists are bad about hiding our real self, our real sins. Baptists can almost strut sitting down. And we walk in here on Sundays and we act like, hey, man, we've got it together. Everything is wonderful. No problems. We're wonderful Christians. Everything is fine. Only thing wrong with that's a big lie because nobody in this building has it all together. Not me, not you. All of us here struggle, and we struggle in so many ways. And somehow or another, we've got to acknowledge that we need help and admit who we are and where we struggle. The second thing is we try to control other people. Parents try to control kids. Kids try to control parents. Husbands try to control wives. Wives try to control husbands. People try to control people. And we manipulate and we use fear and guilt and silent treatment and anger and rage and all kinds of things trying to control others. And the more insecure you are, the more you're driven to control others. The third way we play God is we try to control our problems. Oh, we say, I can handle it, no problem. It's not really a problem. I'm fine, I'm okay, everything is wonderful. You're playing God because what you're saying is there's nothing that can come up in my life that I can't handle. That's a lie. There's plenty that can come up in your life that you can't handle. See, sooner or later, everybody runs up against something that's impossible for him or her to handle, and they need God. You're going to need God in your life. You can't control your problems. Number four, we try to control our pain. We deny our pain. We try to escape in different things, whether it's alcohol or drugs or some kind of compulsive behavior. Hiding. Now, what are the consequences of playing God? Well, number one is fear. 
You see, when you're in control and you're pretending and you're lying and you're covering everything, the, what, you have this fear inside that somebody's going to find out what's really going on in your life. Did you happen to watch 2020 this past week? There was a, a, a school principal on there, a, a popular and powerful school principal that everybody looked up to who seemed to have it all together. I mean, you know, you'd never know. Everything was wonderful. Must have been a Baptist. And she was a cocaine addict. And for over 20 years, I mean, she's leaving the school and going straight to meet her contact to get a cocaine fix. But then she talked about the misery and the fear that somebody's going to find out that this well-known, well-respected person is a cocaine addict. And so fear, when we play God, there's fear. When we play God, there's frustration. Because, you see, we, we think we've got something solved and it just jumps back up or it pops up in a different place. Have you ever seen one of these plastic uh, boxers uh, uh, that you can knock over and every time you knock it over, it bounces back up, hit it again, it bounces back up. Every time you knock it down, it bounces back up. That's what happens to these addictions and things in our life. We knock it down and it bounces back up or it pops up over here. And we get totally frustrated. The third thing is fatigue. Because when you try to play God, when you try to stay in control and you control everybody else and you try to control your problems and you try to hide and keep your problems under, under lid, what's going to happen is it's going to wear you out. Playing God will wear you out. Fatigue. Fear, frustration, fatigue, and then failure. Because, my friend, if you're going to play God, you're going to fail. Because you can't, you can't face life and handle what you have to handle on your own. You need God. And let me tell you about our church. I want our church to be a safe place to come. Safe emotionally. So that when people walk in here, they're struggling. They have this addiction or that addiction. They have this problem or that problem. This hurt or that hurt. This compulsive behavior or that kind of behavior. And they walk in this place, but they're not broadsided with judgment. They are loved. They are prayed for. They are given truth. And they can feel they can come in here and be real and know that all of us are people who have problems. And let me tell you, friend, if you're a member of this church and you don't have any problems, why don't you just go find you another church because you're going to mess up this whole thing because all the rest of us have problems. We don't know what to do with you because all of us struggle. All of us battle hurts and hang-ups and habits and hungers. And we'll never stop struggling in this life. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to support each other and care about each other and love each other. Because let me tell you, when somebody makes a mistake, what do you need to do? You need not to judge them. You need to love them and put your arms around them because guess what? You already have done something that bad or you may in the future. And then you'll want love and support and prayers. And that's what our Lord did. He never approved of sin, but he always loved the sinner and he reached out to them. So in this room, we're people who don't have it all together, no, but we're, we are people 
who have weak areas of our lives and some areas of our life might be out of control. At one time this area might be, the next time this area might be out of control, but we're struggling and we're keep, keeping looking at God and letting God help us work through our struggles. That's why the 12 steps are so vital, so important. Because God has given us these steps so that we can step into freedom and step into fulfillment. We took the first step last Sunday, the step of helplessness and hopelessness, where we come to the end of ourselves and say, Oh God, I can't handle this. I'm powerless. This is something I can't talk my way out of. It's something I can't work my way out of. I can't con my way out of it. This has got me. It's bigger than I am. I cannot handle it. God, you've got to do it. I've got to have outside help. That's the foundational step for you to get the help that you need. Listen to me. Listen carefully. If you miss step one, there's not a person or a program in this country that can help you. Step one is to acknowledge your powerlessness and that your life or some part of it has become unmanageable and without God you cannot do it. If you do not go through that step then there's really no help for you. This step is foundational. And now we move to step two and here's what it says. I believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. There's help available. Step one, I'm hopeless. But step two says, hey, there is help available. There is a higher power that can restore me to sanity. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. I've got a few problems here and there, but I am not insane. Uh, that's your opinion. Mine is that you are. You have to be insane to take this second step. If I can't get you to understand that you're insane, I can't get you well. Step two implies that we are in, insane. I believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. What is sanity? It's soundness of judgment. It's the ability to make right decisions, decisions that help you rather than hurt you. How many times have you made a decision that hurt you rather than helped you and you knew before you did it that it would hurt you more than help you. Oh, come on. Don't look so spiritual. You've done that. You know you have. That's insane. To know something is going to hurt you and yet you do it anyway. I had a couple this week brought me some uh, two, two big containers of candy, of chocolate, these chocolate brownies-like and uh, pralines. I'm a very strong person, and I can handle anything but temptation. <laughs> and I made up my mind that I was not going to eat those because I didn't need to right at this particular time because I'm still trying to work off Christmas because I sinned all during Christmas. But every time I'd go through the room and see them over there, Something would just pull me, my addiction would pull me over there. And I'd have one. I had to take them out of the house and put them in an outside refrigerator because I couldn't handle the sight of them. I 
I knew that I didn't need to eat that whole container of pralines or pralines, depending on what shul you went to. <laughs> but yet, I was going to do it anyway. And when I'd eat one, that's sufficient for anybody, that much sugar at one time, and then I'd eat another one. Insane. That's what he says. Romans 7, 15, listen to what it says. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate to do, I do. What is that? Insanity. Paul's one of the greatest Christians in the, in the world, in the history of the world. He is insane. Here's Paul saying, what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate to do, I do. That's insane. There are two, two kinds of insanity. One is socially acceptable insanity, and one is socially unacceptable insanity. Now, you know about the unacceptable insanity. That's the, the rapist, the serial killer, that, that crowd. But there's a socially acceptable insanity, and in one area of your life, you become dysfunctional. You actually become insane. And there has to be an outside power that brings you back to sanity. Well, let me just give you a sanity test this morning and see how you do. First question, do you continue to do that which you know is impossible? That's insane. You know that there's a part of your life that's out of control and you cannot manage it. You keep trying to fix it, it will not fix. It is out of control, it is unmanageable, and yet you keep on doing what is impossible. You know that it's impossible for you to manage your own life, and yet you keep trying to manage it. That's insane. How did you do on that one? I know, you flunked it. <laughs> Question number two. Do you do the same thing in the same way but expect different results? See, you can't understand why you've still got this problem, you've still got this addiction, you've still got this compulsive behavior, and yet you're doing the same things you've always done in the same way, but you expect different results. My golfing is a great example of that because... You know, for, for years, I would go golfing once a year to see if I was any better. And if I wasn't any better, I wouldn't come back for the next year, and that's been the pattern now for many years. But guess what that is? That's insanity. Because if I go doing the same things, the same swing, but I expect different results. And if you see my swing, you know it's insanity to expect good results out of that swing. So we keep doing the same thing but expect different results, and that means we're insane. That part of our life, insanity. Luke 15, verse 17. Talking about the prodigal son. When he came to his senses. <laughs> what was it before he came to his senses? Insane. Because he was running his own life. He'd made a mess of his own life. I'll do my own thing. I'll do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'll leave my home and family, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. But now he comes to his senses. 
And he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He said, I've gone insane and now I'm coming back to my senses. I'm turning to God. I'm turning to the Father and asking for forgiveness and for help. And the good news, there's help available. Romans 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless, Christ died for us so that we could have power, so that we could have victory, so that we could conquer addictions, so that we could deal with that compulsive behavior. Now, classic AA says we turn our lives over to a higher power. Well, now I want to I get a lot more specific than that because and tell you that can be dangerous because there are a lot of high powers out there that can destroy your life rather than help your life. That higher power must be God and his son, Jesus Christ. Because the only one who can permanently change your life is the Lord Jesus. Anything else, any, any other thing is only a temporary fix. So let me mention a couple of things that will not work. If you're going to conquer your addictions and deal with that compulsive behavior, what are things that, that I see people trying all the time that do not work? Well, one is sincere intentions. You see, everybody in this church who has an addiction to anything or some area of your life is out of control, I guarantee you, you have good intentions. You wouldn't even be here today if you didn't have good intentions. You want to do better. You're like, Paul, things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. But your intentions were good. I'm going to lick this. I'm going to conquer this. How many Januaries have you started over saying, this year is going to be different? This year, I'm going to control this weight problem. This year, I'm going to control this habit, this hang-up. This year, I'm going to get victory. But my friend, to be sincere is not enough. Number two is willpower. I'm just going to use discipline. I'm going to work this thing out. I'm going to conquer this problem. I'm going to do it. My friend, no, no matter how determined your actions, how strong your discipline, willpower alone will never permanently change your life. Won't do it. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. So, sincerity is not enough. It'll never get you where you want to go. It'll never get you the freedom, the fulfillment you're looking for. Self-will, willpower will never, ever get you what you want. Thomas Edison's associate was trying to encourage him because he just had one failing after another trying to discover the filament that goes inside electric light bulb. And when this cohort was trying to encourage him, Thomas Edison says, ah, we know 5,000 things now that won't work. And so many times we try all these things that will not work. We try sincerity. We try willpower and discipline. 
And you say, what will work? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you three things that will work. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, When you're weak, I'm strong. When you acknowledge your weakness, your helplessness, he is strong, and his grace is sufficient. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What are the things that will work? Number one is honesty. I am hopeless and helpless, and my life is spinning out of control. My friend, listen to me. Listen carefully. Until you are honest about where you are in your situation, until you can be honest with God. You see, we think God somehow doesn't know about you. He knows about everything else. He just doesn't know about you. So we don't want to tell God. We try to con God like we try to con everybody else. We try to fool God like we try to fool everybody else. And so we're not honest. But until you get honest about your problems, your weaknesses, your hang-ups, your habits, your hungers, whatever has gotten you spinning out of control, until you get honest, you'll never get help. Nobody can help you. Lee was reminding me this morning about several years ago with my brother, John, I went to get him over in South Carolina, and he, uh, they thought he was drinking himself to death. And a couple of men from our church went with me, and we went over there, drove straight to South Carolina, and we started looking for him, and we found him, and he was a pitiful sight, just skin and bones. And they gave me all of his belongings, which were in a cardboard box. And that's hard for me as a brother to, to handle, to see him like that, and then to realize that he's two years younger than I am, and all he has in his life is a cardboard box full of stuff. And I told Lee about that, and she, she was bothered by that. And her dad, Egbert, I talked to him about Egbert last week. He conquered alcohol with God's help and acknowledging his powerlessness and through these steps. And she was telling her dad about how pitiful it was to see John, and all he had was this cardboard box full of stuff. And her dad said, John's problem is he still has stuff. Until he has an empty box, he'll never get well. And you know, he would, that, that's wisdom. That's wisdom that could only come from an alcoholic who's been through those steps, who had to bottom out. Because you see, my brother always has stuff. He has a personality. He has this. He has that. He has connections. He never has gotten totally empty and become totally powerless, bottomed out totally honest before God. Honesty. Number two is humility. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need you de desperately. Help me. I cannot help myself. Heal me. I cannot heal myself. Save me. I cannot save myself. I need God. I need you to help me. Proverbs 29, 23, pride ends in a fall while humility brings honor. Pride's always right. Humility knows that God is right. Pride refuses to admit hopelessness and helplessness. Humility acknowledges that it's hopeless. You see, pride is self-sufficient. Humility is God-sufficient. One of the problems, one of the barriers to people getting well 
is pride. That may be the biggest single barrier. Pride. P-R-I-D-E. The middle letter in pride is I. The middle letter in sin is I. We have an I problem, an ego problem. What does a baby do in the middle of the night? Baby's so pure and innocent. What does that baby do in the middle of the night? I want you to hurry up and come in here, and if you don't, I'll keep you up all night. <laughs> what does that baby have, an eye problem? And they don't get better, they get worse. They become teenagers. <laughs> then you really see an eye problem. And see, that's what we battle with all our lives is self and ego and an eye problem, and only God can help us deal with that until we openly and honestly before God saying, God, I'm nothing and you're everything. I'm hopeless and helpless. You are my only hope. Honesty. Secondly, humility. Thirdly, faith. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because everyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Faith is what's going to get you to where you want to be. Nothing else. In Mark chapter 9, verse 20, So they brought the boy, but when he saw Jesus, the demon convulsed, the child harbling. He fell to the ground, foaming at the mouth. How long has he been this way, Jesus asked the father. And he replied, since he was very small. And the demon often makes him fall into the fire or into water to kill him. Oh, have mercy on us and do something if you can. Any of you think, think about God that way? God, I really need you to help me if you can. My friend, that's not going to move God into action. You ought to know that he can or you don't know God. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, if I can, ask anything is possible if you have faith. Does that include your addiction, your compulsive behavior, your problem, your hang-up, your habit, your hunger? Yes. Anything is possible if you have faith. The father instantly replied, I do have faith. Oh, help me to have more. You say, but Pastor, my problem is I, I just don't have enough faith. It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God. In fact, this book says if you have the, the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. So step number one is what? Hopelessness. I am hopeless and helpless. I cannot solve my problems. They're bigger than I am. Step number two, there's hope. I believe there is a higher power. It's Jesus Christ, and he can restore me to sanity. Step number three, we'll talk about this more next week, decision. I turn my life over to Almighty God. No strings attached. A man put a cable across Niagara Falls, and he asked the crowd, do you believe I can walk across this cable? And they said, yeah, we believe. But show us. And he walked across that cable. 
Then he said, how many of you believe that I can roll a wheelbarrow across this cable? Oh, we believe. We've seen you walk across it. We believe you can do it. He looked at the guy on the front row and he said, all right, you get in the wheelbarrow. And you couldn't see the guy for the dust. You see, that's the hitch. That's where we miss it. We won't make that commitment. We won't get at the wheelbarrow. I read a story illustrating this, that, just a good illustration of it, with the, the Twin Towers in the World Trade Center in New York. And uh, supposedly this tour group, of course it's a story just to illustrate this point, tour group on top of this tower. And they're looking over Manhattan, they're overwhelmed by the city of Manhattan. And then all of a sudden, there is an explosion, and this building becomes a towering inferno. Fire is everywhere. And all of a sudden, they realize they're helpless and hopeless on the top of that building. The building's on fire, and there's nothing they can do about it. They look over to the twin tower, and they see a man on the top of that building. And he has a cannon beside him. And he shoots that cannon, which is a huge cable that goes over to the next building and wraps around a pole. And then that man walks across that cable to this burning building. And then he turns around, he walks back across the cable, and he gets a wheelbarrow, and he comes across with a wheelbarrow, and he says, I've come to save you. Step number one. The building is on fire. Your life is on fire. You're helpless and hopeless. But then a higher power, Jesus to be exact, comes with a wheelbarrow. That's hope. That's the second step. And he says, I've come to save you. Get in. That's step three. And my friend, that is the only way that you can step out of where you are and eventually into freedom and into fulfillment. But let me get quickly give you three reasons why people won't get in the wheelbarrow. Number one, because of denial. Denial. I don't really have a problem. It's not that bad. I know I drink a lot, but I only drink three nights a week, the four nights a week that I don't drink. It's not that bad. Oh, we blame other people. The building is on fire. Flames are everywhere. But he says, I won't get in that wheelbarrow. It's not my fire. I didn't start the fire. It's my wife's fire. It's my husband's fire. It's my boss's fire. I didn't start the fire. It's not my fire. It's not my problem. I don't have to get in the wheelbarrow. Buy a saddle. Number two, delay. One day I'll do it. I know I need to do it. I intend to do it, but not today. One day when I get this done or that done, one day I'll do it next week, next month, next year. In the meantime, we trade addictions to ease the pain. If you start shopping or eating or whatever, delay. 
Number three, dependency. In denial, we accuse. In dependency, we excuse. You see, I know I'm like this, but hey, it's not my fault. I mean, it's my parents' fault. Or it's my grandmother's. I had two grandmothers, they, they both loved me too much and they, they fought over me and that's why I act like this as the president. It just slipped out. Where did that come from? I didn't. <laughs> just forget that. Erase that. Forget that. It's somebody else's fault. It's, it was the way my mother carried me before I was born. It was what my father did or didn't do. And you see what the tragic thing is that when we excuse ourselves, many times those around us cover for us. And we're going to talk about this some more later about codependency and caretaking because when you do that, you become a part of the problem rather than a part of the solution to the problem. Mothers are especially gifted at this. And I'll talk to you about my own mom who is codependent to my alcoholic brother. But she has trouble, a godly woman, but she has trouble seeing that. Now, the only way out is to take these steps. Step number one, hopeless. Step number two, there's hope available. Step number three, there is Jesus Christ who can restore me to sanity. And I want to tell you something. These are not steps that you take one time. These are steps you'll be taking the rest of your life. And you'll have to keep going back to step one over and over again because you'll keep taking back that power, that control in your life. A little six-year-old boy was sitting on the floor crying and his mother said, uh, what are you crying about? He said, I just learned how to tie my shoes. She said, well, you're growing up. Why are you crying about it? He said, because I realize I got to do this the rest of my life every day. <laughs> and that's how it is with the steps. It's a continual process. But it's the only way to freedom. The Bible says, what if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What would it profit you if you could work out your problems to be in charge of your soul but then end up in hell. And somebody said, why, why fix potholes in a road leading to hell? You don't need a temporary fix. You need a permanent change. And Jesus is the one who says, if you really want to be free, he comes to you and says, I am the one who can set you free. But you've got to get in the wheelbarrow the smartest thing anyone ever does is to make that commitment to Jesus Christ and to get in the wheelbarrow by faith. There's a fishing village on the coast of Maine that was struggling and they were about to go bankrupt and they feared that the people would starve to death. And so they're having a town meeting. And a stranger walked into that town meeting and he offered suggestions and solutions to their problems. 
But they shot holes. They put down everything he said because he was a stranger and they didn't take to strangers around there. The meeting was over. No solution. A man, a townsman, was, he was late coming to that meeting and as he came in, he saw this stranger coming out and he went straight to the guy in charge and he said, was that stranger in this meeting? The man said, yes, he was. Did he say anything? Oh, yes, he offered suggestions and solutions. Well, what did y'all do? We, we poured holes in it. We, we, we shot it down. We don't take the strangers. He doesn't understand us. He doesn't know our problems. The man said, there's a big ship out there. That stranger was John D. Rockefeller. And he has the resources, the power to save this town. He said, he was our only opportunity, the only one to, could help us. And you turned him away. That's what a lot of people do with Jesus Christ. You can look the world over. You can try it yourself as long as you want to try it. But my friend, ultimate freedom and fulfillment and permanent change comes only out of a relationship with Jesus Christ where you come to the end of yourself, acknowledge your powerlessness, and by faith, get in the wheelbarrow and let God do what you can't do, manage your life, control your life. That's the key. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 